Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Mark Champagne. He's the author of the brand new book, Personal Socrates, questions that will upgrade your life from legends and world-class performers. And I knew I needed to talk to Mark about this book when I found out it was coming out of Baron Fig. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because recently we talked with Joey Caffone for a second time on the show about his Laws of Creativity book. And so I knew they were very careful and curation-oriented when it comes to what they release through Baron Fig. And by the way, you should check them out. I'll link to them in the show notes for the episode. But Baron Fig does a lot of amazing analog creativity and productivity pens and notebooks and all that kind of good stuff. Check them out. But yeah, personal Socrates. You're like, wait a second, what's that about? Well, in this conversation, Mark and I talk about the need for asking questions and the power of asking questions. And he is a mental fitness strategist. And I've heard of fitness, but not mental fitness, let alone a strategist. So we'll find out what that means and what that role is. And then why questioning is an essential aspect of mental fitness. Not only that, but we talk about the Socratic method and the process of updating the Socratic method for modern times. So this is a really fun one. It's all about mental fitness. You're going to love it. So I'm going to get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Mark Champagne. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Mark Champagne. Mark, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Great to be here, Eric. I can't wait. I'm super excited. I was glad to connect with you. Joey Caffone thought, hey, let's reach out. And and there are ulterior motives that were <laughs> of the positive benefit. I had no qualms about him reaching out whatsoever because I know you're involved with him and Baron Fig. And I love Baron Fig. Joey's been on the show twice now. It's been very, very fun and very cool. But you've got a new book. And you've been a podcaster for a while, too. I want to touch on all these different things. But your new book, Through Baron Fig is called Personal Socrates, Questions That Will Upgrade Your Life from Legends and World-Class Performers. Before we get into the book itself, I know you call yourself, and I've never heard this term, a mental fitness strategist. (laughs) I've heard like fitness, and I've heard strategy. I've never heard mental fitness strategist linked together as a title. So what even is that? (laughs) <laughs> it's a good question. I, something I've thought about a lot as well. And the way I came up with that term, I guess you could say, is just I was struggling to find the combination of essentially two different worlds that I play in and work in. One being as a strategist and having worked on back in my past life in the corporate world, worked on these $100 million brands doing brand strategy and product strategy and, and just like you know, taking all the inputs that are coming in and so forth and distilling everything down into a simple plan that everyone can then 
okay, I see it. Like I see the vision. And then there was all the mental fitness stuff that I've been doing. Well, I was doing that at the same time, but now I would say I'm, I'm kind of all in, let's just say over the last probably six years or so. And realized like most of us, myself included, don't have a strategy for our mind. We let our, our minds kind of run loose and then they fall into autopilot, which in my opinion is like the worst place to be because that's where you, you essentially stop asking questions and your life starts to, to resemble what other people want for you essentially or, or what society wants or whatever it is. It's, it's typically not what we want. So that's how they came together. I said, well, if I can bring the knowledge of strategy and then the knowledge that I have around mental fitness and the practical elements of these these practices, and that's the key thing, then if we can get clear on like who we are and where we're striving to go, and even if it's a business, where are we at and where do we want to be, and then start adjusting the in-between piece, making sure you know our habits, our systems, our practices, our rituals, our routines, our calendars support that journey, just like a brand plan would or the product shut down or the company shuts down. It's just a win-win, right? So that's how it all came up. Perfect. So you said you've been in the kind of the mental fitness side of things for about six years now. So obviously you've got connected with Joey Cafone over at Baron Fig. How long have you known him? Like what was the path there through to this birth of this book coming out through Baron Fig? Yeah, I mean, I've, so I've known Joey probably probably about five years now. He's turned into such a good friend. So it feels like a, a lot longer. But I came across Baron Fig when I left that corporate world to start, at the time, one of the first guided digital journals. And if you think of the meditation apps like Headspace and Calm, how they you know bring you into and teach meditation practice and guide you through it, there was nothing that really existed like that for journaling and specifically using the prompts from brilliant thinkers to help us fire up a practice or upgrade and, and help continue the practice. So I started that app. And at one point, we wanted, there was a feature in the, in the roadmap where we wanted to be able to export people's journals. And we wanted a high quality print solution, you know, not just like kind of a regular like Apple family notebook kind of quality or blurb or whatever, but something that like, you know, you'd be really proud to put on the, on the shelf. And I just started Googling companies like that and Baron Fig came up and, you know, shot an email over to info at kind of uh, address. And eventually I found myself on the, on the line with Joey. And I mean, long story short, anyone familiar with Baron Fig products, they make beautiful notebooks and pens and stationery and whatnot. They weren't able to do, you know, that level of customization for one-offs, but that started our relationship and that probably something what, what you and I share since it's Joey a couple times now, I've turned into a bit of a snob of their products. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't write in another notebook. I can't use another pen. I use the strategist cards. So before even coming close to a book discussion, I was already pretty deep into the Baron Fig ecosystem. Yeah, same here. My son, air quotes, made me get him one of the pens because it had a sword on it and he's seen mine yes. and he saw that one and he thought, I want that. First off, it was, can I have your pen? And I'm like, no. 
but oh well can you get me one <laughs> okay so that ended up happening and he uses it i feel proud to you know yeah. kind of be that first like, it, it was almost like i handed it over in a sheath and he pulled it out and yeah it, you know it's it, and the, even the thing that they have on for your desk where you stick it in there and it sits there is almost like excalibur pulling that out yeah yeah so anyway <laughs> way too geeky about this stuff but so anyway we both love baron fig and you got connected with them and yeah. so i have to believe that Joey, with his mind and creativity, hence his recent book, had a hand in what you were doing. You know, you you probably in the course of your conversation, you had your germination of your idea, your catalyst for it. You were working on it. And then in the conversation, you kind of progress towards, okay, this is the final form of the book. So I'm curious, as you were going through this process, like how involved were you with the Socratic method, because obviously it's right there in the title. Yeah, well, first I, I have to say, so Joey had a huge say in the whole, it was actually his suggestion, the, the book title, and he designed the book cover, which was uh, a journey in itself, the amount of versions that we were going back and forth with and so forth. And and just to kind of bring the, the story up to kind of current time, from that initial conversation with Joey, I interviewed him a couple times on various shows and whatnot, and then we just stayed in touch. And then eventually, I was at the point where I had to make a decision with the book. It wasn't even a book. We'll call it the draft or the the idea. And it was, do I go the traditional route and put together this big book proposal and go down that whole rabbit hole? Do I self-publish and just hammer out the, you know, the words at this point? Because I had, you know, probably 25,000 word draft at that point. So when I was explaining the concept to Joey, this is when it, when it all really felt aligned. Because he said, we've always wanted to publish books. And it's always been like something kind of on the back burner because we've got everything else going on. But he's like, I feel like this could be a really good fit. Because, you know, as most people know, or at least you and I know, they make tools for thinkers. And this is something definitely for thinkers in the sense of reading. And for me, I was always trying to provide my mental fitness tools to people, but never had really any physical products to help support that. So so he said, would you consider being published by Baron Fig? I mean, they didn't even have, it's called Baron Fig Circus Books. They didn't even have that set up. I mean, well, that was ongoing while we're working on the book. So, but it was a hell yeah, because, you know, I had known Joey and, and like I said, I was already a huge fan of the brand. And especially since this book is, is much, you know, very much geared to slowing down and reflecting and writing in it, I knew that the quality of the book would be different. The book stays open. It's because they're using their lay flat design that they have on their confidant notebooks and so forth. And so, yeah. So as we're having that discussion, he turns to me and he says, this book should be called Personal Socrates. I said, absolutely not. I'm not a philosopher. I don't consider myself a philosopher. Why on earth would you think this? Because I was I was explaining that over the five years of the, the podcast, that all of these brilliant people were leaving these almost like sequences of questions. You know, and that's what I was doing in journaling up as well, was tying together these sequences of questions, which is essentially the Socratic method. So as soon as Joey said that, and when we, we ended our call, I was still not sold. But then I started to go down the Google rabbit hole of Socrates. And like probably most people listening, like I think we all know of Socrates, or if you took a course in, in school, like you've got a, maybe a little bit more understanding, but that's kind of it. It's high level, right? But then what blew my mind was, 
you know, just going through what the Socratic method is, just the fact that it literally has been around since the beginning of time and it has stood the test of time. We all use it almost on a daily basis, but don't really realize we're using it. That just blew my mind. So that's when I, you know, I wrote back. I'm like, yeah, that's a good title. And I'd like to modernize the Socratic method and link it into how we can write this book. Makes sense. I'm glad you brought that up. We kind of all have this like basic understanding of Socrates or Socrates, however you want to call it. Every time I hear his name, I think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because he's so prominent <laughs> so in that movie. I can't help it. Yeah. 80s movies on the brain, whatever. But that said, you know, we think of him, we lump him in. He is rightly part of philosophy, but it's almost that he's this other person going about this approach of just asking the right questions to get to the next right question. But again, philosophy is also about asking the right questions broadly in all the different facets that it has. But anyways, I digress. My point is, is that we don't often think that asking ourselves the right questions or even asking questions at all or pausing to do any of this is something that we should be doing. I know recently we've talked a little bit on this podcast about internal narrative, and it seems like we've got constantly that going on, but I think we typically have gotten out of the practice of pausing that narrative or entering into the narrative intentionally. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is why I'm so obsessed with questions, because a good question gives us that pause that you mentioned. And that pause is an opportunity for us to take a different course of action, right? And not let our minds be hijacked all day and sometimes for days and weeks and potentially longer with these narratives and these stories that are running. And I mean, this is what I, I just came back from Idaho Falls, uh, actually from working with the team. And it's the simple things, just taking a minute to check in in the morning while your coffee's brewing. How do I feel today? One word. You know, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Oh, I feel I feel stressed. Well, where do you feel that in your body? My stomach's a bit tight or my chest is a bit tight. Often just doing that releases it. But if it doesn't, then you ask the next question. Well, what's fueling that, right? And then so now cut the fuel source. And this can all happen within minutes, right? I mean, obviously I'm generalizing here. We all are going through different things and there could be different severities to how we're feeling. But more often than not, it starts like, exactly how I described. And what happens is it just keeps compounding and compounding. And whether we ask questions or not, those emotions are still rolling into the day with us. They affect everything, how we feel, how we're showing up, you know, how present or, or not present we are with, with our kids and our family and our coworkers. So, you know, a couple minutes, if you're just doing that, you know, then you start to become more self-aware and you're like, oh, there's that looping narrative again. And you can flip into another question or another practice or a gratitude prompt. You know, who can I celebrate right now in my life? Like who has just, you know, done so much that I don't give enough thanks to? I mean, that cuts the loop immediately and you send them a message, makes their day. Then they write back, say, wow, thank you. They make your day. And what's not happening during that, that interaction is the unwanted loopy narrative. Yeah. I think that one of the things that might strike somebody as, potentially a roadblock or just an objection to picking up a book like this and going through it is they're like, ah, oh, it's going to ask me a bunch of tough questions. And I, I don't really have time to sit and like actually work through it. Almost like it's personal, not just personal Socrates, but like personal self walkthrough therapy in a way. 
Yeah. We feel like, "Ah, I mean, I really should do that work, but I I don't have time because one, we overestimate the amount of time it's going to take, or we have a different or inaccurate perspective on what it means to, like you said, pause and ask a question while your coffee's brewing, not set aside a personal retreat time for four hours. Exactly. Both of those are very beneficial. I prescribe do both of those things. I'd love to do both those things. In fact, I have. But it's like to some people asking these questions can seem like just another task on their busy schedule, which may not actually be that bad of a way of thinking about it if you think about it as a low-level task, not this giant project. Of course. So two things on that one. Thing one will be the blunt response, I guess you could say. And that is the questions that scare us the most are the ones that we should probably spend some time thinking about. Because whether we ask that question on our own terms right now, that question is eventually going to have to be asked. And if it's not on your terms and you're forced into it, those are those moments where we get in life where like, how did we get here? And it feels like everything is crumbling or exploding and you're at this monumental moment. And then now you're forced to ask some questions, right? And, and think and, and make some, some decisions. So that's just one thing to keep in mind um, in terms of where to start. But then t- to your point, we don't have to jump right into crazy, like I'm going to completely up-level my life. <laughs> we could just start, like I said, just start with checking in and seeing hey, what am I hearing day in, day out? Like, where am I being naturally guided that I might be missing because of I'm busy here, I'm doing this and so forth. And when it comes to the time, you know, that's why I mentioned that, you know, the coffee one, but it's just, it's taking a look at your regular routine and seeing where you can just stack something together with something that you're already doing. So it isn't this big, you know, boot camp that, you know, all of a sudden you've got to get up and spend three hours in the morning on mental fitness and physical fitness and meditate before, you know, 5 a.m. And then, and then you're booked into the 30 day silent retreat. Like, you know, and to your point, nothing wrong with any of that, but I don't know. I mean, I just, when, when I'm speaking with people and whatnot, I really try not to suggest anything that takes more than 10 minutes to at least get people started. Questions are one thing, some guided breath works, another thing, you know, some gratitude, some, you know, just mindful walks, finding content and people that inspire you so that when you're, again, when your mind starts to loop, you can reset, right? Some of these things take 30 seconds, but if we don't do it, and I wish this wasn't the case, but it unfortunately is, as soon as we step outside of our you know, beautiful little recording bubble that we have where you and I are protected and excited and energized about what we do. We're thrown into the regular world, which is full of a lot of fear, a lot of stress, a lot of just busyness. And if you don't have the practices and if you don't have some of this preventative mental fitness, it's nearly impossible not to fall onto that autopilot track. And that leads, and we see it, we've got a mental health crisis around the world. It doesn't lead to a place where I would imagine anyone wants to be. So that's, like, you know, for motivators, it's all upside when you start working on this. Sure, it might be a little bit challenging based on the responses. You might not want to hear the response depending on how deep you go, but at least you know, and you can do something with that data, Right. Yeah, I think there's different levels here. We're talking, you know, sometimes it's baseline level, like just be aware, just having simple practice of awareness day in and day out. 
And then, yes, there's those times I'm kind of liking it. You're talking mental fitness. Let's do the physical fitness every day. You're going to do something. You don't want to go days without it. You know, you don't want to go continually a streak of days on and on and on without any physical activity. Same thing with your mind. Yeah. But occasionally you want to challenge yourself. You want to go do a marathon or something like that. And that takes a little bit of training. And so, you know, that's what we're talking about when we have more of the the high impact, you know, take your personal retreat time as your training time mentally and, and so on. So I like what you said. You said autopilot. And I think that's the thing is I think that we've just all been on autopilot, but not just autopilot, but like, you know, pedal to the metal almost all the way down on the floor more often than not, you know, where we've got this just constant, like our default speed in our mind has got some pretty high RPMs. It's like a 12 hour hit workout. Yeah. So when you have that speed constantly going and we're not taking time to have awareness, then any kind of time that the awareness creeps in, it feels like yet another task that, oh, well, that's not an important task. I'll get to that later. We procrastinate on those. Yeah. If we follow the physical fitness analogy, our example, you you can look at any athlete, you know, whether that's all the way to the top, you know, let's say like the NBA or, or really, you know, anyone, even, even college level and, and below, like you have to inject those moments of recovery. You know, I know we do less of it when we're younger and younger, but it, it doesn't take very long until you get to that place where, okay, well, I, I at least need to be stretching, you know, before or after and so forth. But then you get up to the top and if you're going to perform at high level, which that's the thing where this example breaks down because we can't always relate to the high level NBA athlete because they're performing at this this really high level. But I think we can all relate to it. We're all challenged to perform at a very high level mentally every day for the most part. But we don't inject the same level of, of importance in that recovery time. As if like, you know, LeBron James or someone in the NBA just kept playing and never did any of his recovery practices, which he, I think he has a, I mean, he has a whole team, obviously. There's no way he could be playing at this age, at this level. So I think we just, we just owe it to ourselves. Because the other thing is you feel better. Like, I think we deserve to feel good more days than not when we wake up. And statistically speaking, we're not there yet, unfortunately from what, what we're seeing with what's happening on the mental health side of things. And, and, and I guess what I'm trying to advocate for is that we've made a lot of progress in the sense of being open and vulnerable and, and sharing stories and so forth. But I think the thing that's been lacking is, well, well what do I do then? Because there's a million, like physical fitness, if you don't like to run, doesn't rule out all of exercise. And it's the same thing with mental fitness. We just need to, I think, have more conversations to provide, okay, well, yeah, you could do this, you could do that. And it's the small things that end up staying in your routine and that you're consistent with. And then you start, you know, you start seeing other things that, that pop up and be like, oh, I want to try that or I want to try this. And the next thing you know, like the opportunities personally and professionally just start appearing because you can see them because your mind's not clouded and just jammed, packed full of mental pollution. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. 
Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, obviously, the book is pulling from Socrates and anybody who knows anything, if you Google the word productivity and you Google the word Socrates, which I did because I thought, you know what, I want to see if there's any kind of cross-reference to pull in. And there's an obvious quote from Socrates, beware the barrenness of a busy life. And I think that's there's probably a bunch of different things that we could pull in terms of meaning from that. But being so busy that we're producing almost nothing kind of that barrenness feels like this autopilot, but high speed autopilot kind of mode. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of the question, you know, who am I when I'm not busy, you know, and think about like, who is that person? Cause we, we live again, when we're kind of caught up in this autopilot, we live on this track that feels like we have to be busy to be productive and successful and, and so forth. When if you really dial it back and you actually take, again, like just a few minutes to think about that question, who, you know, who am I when I'm not busy? You know, how you answer that is, is most likely the characteristics that mean the most to you as the person that, that you are. And we just keep going farther and farther from that person as life unfolds, unless you check in and get clear with this. So it's all fascinating when, when it, in, in Socrates, Bless his heart. I mean, he he still lives with us today, and it's it's, it's interesting because, like I said, everyone has a, a small awareness of, of him, but we're all using those questions in some capacity. So, yeah. So, when you set out to modernize the Socratic method in the book, how does that play out? I mean, some people would say, "What needed updating?" And I think it's not that it needed updating; it's that it needs to be applied differently because things are now different, right? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, and I imagine most people can relate to this. Like, If you think of Socrates, at least I think about my best friend who's a lawyer who, you know, went through a lot of philosophy classes and questioning and whatnot and felt like I was being, when he was in law school, felt like I was always being asked questions. So whenever I interview, because it seems like there's a lot of lawyers that turn entrepreneurs. I don't know if you've experienced this as well. When I interview them and they they hear about the book, their first reaction is not good because they have a bad reaction uh, or negative association with the Socratic method because they're just hammered, right, in school. So there's this thought that, the method is only linked to either lawyers and their training, but also just academic. And the academic piece makes sense given that's kind of where it, where it all set. And that's for the most part, you know, where Socrates was asking questions to his students and so forth. So I get that. But that's such a narrow scope. I mean, like, like what we've been just talking about, it can apply to anything. It can apply to, you know, 
you know, if we think of Joey and, and the work that he's doing, like a new design project and whatnot, you can apply it across the board. And then when I started researching the method itself, a lot of things were coming up around like, here are all the clarifying questions or challenging assumptions or this and that. And this is in the introduction. I've, I've written about it, but I can't even, this is the problem. I can't even re- remember, I think it's six steps. And that's, that's the problem. If I can't remember them off like the tip of my tongue, then there's no way I'm going to just intuitively apply that to my life. So I tried to figure out what the overall theme was, and that's the structure of the book or the parts of the book. And I apply this formula to absolutely everything. First, we have to get clear. We need to get clear on where we're at and where we're heading. And if if that's personally, who am I and who am I striving to become? Then from that point, the next step in the process and, and, and the questions, a quality question is only, in my opinion, only defined if it relates to you and is applicable in whatever situation that you're in. So it's not about just, hey, here's a list of of questions around intentionality or, or getting clear. It has to link to you. So the theme is get clear, then get intentional and understand that, okay, well, if I know I'm heading in this direction or this is where I want to be going, do my habits, do my systems, do my practices, do you know what I'm doing every day, do they support me or, or are they pushing me farther away from that destination? And then the third part, you don't even have to remember because it just happens by default. You expand possibility because if you're clear and you're, you're designing your life to support that path, that's when you start seeing those opportunities. And that's when you start picking up, oh yeah, I'm falling on the old, the old programming again and I have the tools and I have the clarity to course correct. So I just wanted to get super clear, right? With ironically with a flow that is at any point, I need to ask, spend some time with questions around getting clear and I need to make sure that I'm focused and intentional with what I'm doing and that will always lead to some sort of expanded view and a set of opportunities. Now, throughout the book, in each of the sections, you're then bringing in all of these different, like in, from the title, legends and world-class performers and and not just their perspective, but you're literally bringing in a question it's almost too much of a simplification to just say it's their clarifying question. It's it's their question that applies to them and what they you know what they've been work. about and yeah, yeah in their work etc. For me, one of the ones that stood out obviously because I do this show was James Clear's, which is who am I optimizing to become? And yeah. that's a pretty pointed question, but yet that's a very good question to be asking. For me, it's like. People can listen in and get all these tips and tricks and changes of perspective and aha moments and all the other things I could list off that are like bite-sized nuggets, whatever. Yeah. But what is all that for? Who is it you're really trying to become? And that actually then helps you to refine what optimizations, if any, you do need to make. And then you know which episodes of my show to go grab. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, and the the reason the book is set up in the in the way it is, and we we had many discussions internally at Baron Fig about this, because you know at that time I think I'd interviewed at least two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty people. So I mean, could have easily done a book specifically just on people I've interviewed. But then you know, you and I know James Clear, and and many people do, of course, since he's sold you know I think at least ten million books at this point. But there's still a lot of people that actually have no idea who James Clear is, but Everyone knows Picasso. Everyone knows Kobe Bryant. You know, everyone knows Maya Angelou. So there was a decision to 
well, let's bring in some people that are still around today and that anyone that, that is I've interviewed, but then let's also fill, you know, good, almost a good half of the book with just these legends of the past. And it was so fun because those chapters, the prep and the research was just so different from, you know, the James Clear chapter that I have in there, having interviewed him, right? And then it just became, and, and this is the theme of the book overall, then it became, well, how can I, how can I tell their story in a very abbreviated fashion or structure, anywhere from four to six pages, which was a challenge in itself. And thankfully, I had a really good editor to help with this, which is Chantal. She would always tell me, you're not writing a biography on Picasso. That has been done. So don't, you know, don't worry about doing you know, his work and his, his name and whatnot, justice from that capacity. Your job is to be inspired by his work and his, his life to surface the mental fitness that we can then piggyback on, you know, perspectives from Picasso's work. And that made it really fun and hard because, you know, how do you know what, like, I didn't go in thinking, okay, Picasso, we're going to do something around, you know, colors and identifying the color state that we're in right now and understand the states of, you know, associations of like, was the last 10 years of my life or five years of my life associated with a red color, whatever that means to you. I don't know, right? I didn't go into that. That kind of came through as I realized that when you zoom out from someone like Picasso's work, you know, even though he's legendary in many different phases, but when you zoom out, you can see oh, there's a whole phase when he had a blue phase of his work. That's because his friend had committed suicide and all of his paintings and work are a bit somber and the, the expressions, people, the faces are looking down. And then he met his wife and all of a sudden there's a whole other era of like pastels and more bright colors. And it was that moment. I'm like, when you zoom out, well, can we not just zoom out from our life as well and see what phases we've gone through? And the, the answer is absolutely yes. So that's how it's structured. Yeah. I think some people are curious then, okay, we've talked about the word Socrates and how that ties in, but they're curious, why personal Socrates? They're curious in a good way, because Socrates was curious, hence the questions. Yeah. They're curious... And I would encourage that. What does the word personal mean? Is it just I'm my own Socrates or I now have my pocket Socrates in the book? Like explain that a little bit. Great question. A little bit of both is that, you know, it's especially this is journaling, whether you're writing in the book or you're writing in a notebook, journaling is just, it's just reflection, right? That's the actual practice. So with the book and the reason it's personal is at any moment, we can be our own personal coach or motivator or therapist, like whatever we need, we can do that. We just need to, to take a minute to pause and ask those questions, right? So that's that's the whole concept behind it. And and yeah, I mean, I know Joey was, you know, when he was originally thinking about it, was really thinking, it's like you've got your little personal Socrates on your shoulder, essentially reminding you when you're, you know, depending on, there's a million different use cases, but if you're in a high stress situation or if you're about to go into you know deliver this big presentation i just use this the other day it's like and this is in my angelou's chapter okay i've got my angelou on my shoulder here you know and everyone else that really loves me and supports me so i can walk out on stage with confidence and that's what she did you know not having to rely on someone else when you're in your toughest times. And I'm not saying that it means, you know, eliminate, you know, your therapist or anything else that you're doing. But in the heat of the moment, we all have access to this. And we can all ask a gratitude question to flip our minds back into a thriving state. 
at any moment. And that's why at the, on the back of the book, it's the line there. And I live, I live my life by this is just, we're all one question away from a different life at any moment. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I had to pick it up here and flip it over because I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot there's that on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think what you're getting at here is is it's not that we eliminate external sources of strengthening and allyship and accountability and all these other good things. It's just that we don't need to forego some of the internal narrative that we have ourselves and the capability to do that and the mental fitness that we should be cultivating to make best use of that, though we've kind of abandoned that. Totally. So, I mean, I'm only one person, but I'm hoping through the, through, through the book and, and at least the podcast behind the human that that message comes out clear enough and, and, and also that we deserve that you know, ability to do it, right? And and let our minds breathe a little bit, right? And lighten them and just be more present and enjoy and so forth. So yeah, it's, I mean, I'm obviously biased when it comes to the questions. And even though it's been, you know, the last six years of being like really all in on on this, it's been, it's been almost two decades of, of studying the minds of other people and just collecting these reflective questions. And that's how it all started in, in the corporate space. I just, I got up about 10 minutes earlier every day and was just reading positive content. And at that time, you know, reading blog posts and, you know, books, magazines and things like that. I think it was Success Magazine was the one I was subscribed to. And I just quickly realized that, or I could see it. It was so obvious when you start, you know, studying these people, they're asking really high quality reflective questions consistently. And I would just write that prompt down and then I would journal on it either in the moment in relation to my life, or I'd save it for the next morning. And it was just a beautiful way to start the day. And I almost would wake up excited and make a coffee. Like I've got that one question that I remember was just like kicked me on the back of my chair. And like I can use it here or reframe here and kind of haven't stopped essentially thousands of questions later. Yeah, man, I got to ask, though, then that that means that you've got some sort of morning ritual, routine, et cetera, for that. I hear some people thinking that you're kind of saying this is as easy, and it does, here's the thing, it doesn't have to be hard, but you're making no. it sound to them like it's as easy as brew your coffee and ask a question while you're brewing your coffee, and then sit down and look at blog posts. And some people, that's going to sound very generic, but I think that there's so much more meaning in the intentional taking of that time and using that time versus, again, what most of us are doing, which is we either turn over and underneath our pillow pull out this slab of glass that's electrified or it's over on our nightstand or some of the best of us that I strive to be have left it over on a desk, either far away or in a completely different section of the apartment house, et cetera. There's a very big difference between what you're saying and most of the practices that are happening. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing is to cut out starting our day on someone else's terms And that's what we're doing when we're checking email or social or picking up our phone. I mean, I got an Apple Watch just for that very reason so that my phone is not in the bedroom and there's zero notifications on my watch and I just use it for the alarm, essentially. And I buzz myself awake, which has worked wonders for years. And the biggest thing, though, what I've noticed over the last, you know, at least 12, 15 years of having a morning ritual, let's just call it, is prioritizing the time and not being 
so hard on myself or strict with what I'm doing during that time, other than it has to make me feel good. My mind has to feel better doing whatever I'm doing. It just so happens that journaling is is definitely probably the most consistent, but if for some reason I get up and I don't feel it, then I might do four minutes of breath work or for sure I'm, I'm doing some sort of physical exercise in that, in that block of time that I have. The key though is this, is that as you start feeling the differences that this makes, and it doesn't take very long, then it becomes very hard to move that block around, that time block around. And that means that the evening before, if there's something late happening, it's got to be a real damn good opportunity or something that's going to just light my life up for me to stay out super late and know that that's going to mess up the morning start. Because that that time in the morning literally dictates and predicts the next 24 hours, including how well I sleep or don't sleep. So it's everything, right? And, you know, as someone that, as a dad myself and, and with young children, all the parents out there are probably thinking, yeah, but, you know, our kids dictate our, our wake up and so forth. And yes, they absolutely, especially when we think that they're sleeping, uh, we've got it figured out, then they show us who's boss. But, and this happened the other week, I have a 15-month-old and a six-year-old and, and the, the, the little guy, he's, he's having fun with his sleep right now. He was up several times. So instead of, I normally have an hour early in the morning, 5.30 to, to 6.30-ish, uh, where I'm doing all this stuff. It wasn't feasible. But instead of doing nothing, I did the five-minute round of breath work before I got into the day. And just that alone started my day feeling like, okay, yeah, I didn't sleep as great as I'd like to. But if had I not done that, I would have started the day feeling like I was just so behind already and just exhausted and instead, I felt energized from the actual breath work and felt like, yeah, I got a little bit in, you know? So it really is just the time and having a toolkit, like have a list of five to 10 things that you know, if you do those things, you're going to feel good. And yeah, checking in beside the coffee machine. And, and I usually have, uh, right now I have Robert Greene's one of Robert Greene's books, but usually have Ryan Holiday's work and Stoke philosophy right beside the microwave. And I, I just read one page and it's just enough to immediately shift your perspective on whatever's going on in your mind. And it's just, a, I don't know, I'm mean, biased, but it's a beautiful way to start the day. I totally agree. And I love that you call it a toolkit. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to say, you know, if we go to that physical fitness metaphor, it's not that you're limited to one thing. You've got yeah. all these different options. If uh, dictated by, you know, hey, if the weather's bad, you're not going to go outside and run in the rain, though some will, yeah. or walk or whatever. But you can do isometrics. You could do push-ups yeah. against a wall, just five to ten of them, and it's it's different, but it still accomplishes something. So Something, exactly. And the more you experiment with all these practices, then all of a sudden you can start linking them. I'm talking a lot about breathwork because it's just been, I don't know, for me the last year has been a, a real game changer because even in that you know four or five minute track that I did, I use an app called Othership for the guidance on that. And in the breath holds, I stack in the journaling because there's usually, you know, you can ask yourself a question if you're holding your breath for 30 seconds or a minute or whatever it is when your your body's oxygenated. I'll loop in the check-in question. How do I feel? And what better time to, to do that? And now I, I did essentially my journaling and breath work and I did all that in five minutes. Now that's the kind of multitasking I can get behind. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and you feel good. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I know people are probably very curious then as to, you know, 
the application of the book and, and essentially it is a journal or a journaling guide overall with the different aspects of walking you through all the different pieces of the modernized Socratic method that you've got in here. I'd love for people to check it out so we can send them to Baron Fig. I mean, why not get it straight from the source, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the best place to get a, a physical copy of the book. You know, just knowing the team and then the love and the heart behind that team. And it's, just, you know, if you go on the website and you see the amount of products they have, you'd think they have this massive, you know, shop running and it, it really is a small team. So for sure, you know, anything to do to support that crew, I'd be incredibly grateful for. But of course, it's available on Amazon as well and Audible. I recorded the audiobook myself. Um, and then, the Kindles and, and whatnot. And I would suggest if anyone picks it up, take it slow. What's interesting is once you put a book into the world, it's no longer yours. You, you hear that all the time. And I'm feeling that now because there's all these use cases. Couples have been using it. They'll read one chapter together or they'll, they'll read it separately and then come together and reflect on the prompts together, which is beautiful to see. Students have been using it as well. But the way I wrote it to be used, I can at least suggest that is you pick it up, read the introduction, take you a few minutes just to set some context, and then just scan the table of contents and see what prompt or person catches your attention and start there. Because for whatever reason, there's something that's drawing you to that person or that question, and that's probably where you'll get the most value. And from there, just because I did record the audiobook, you're looking at a you know five to eight minute read time. And they were intentionally, I mentioned Ryan Holiday, he had a huge role to play in the structure of the book. We, we had a call with him early on and they're digestible chapters for that very reason, that exactly how I'm using Ryan's books leaning up against the coffee machine. I mean, that's kind of how I'd love this book to be used because if you only have, you know, 10 minutes or five to 10 minutes, then I at least know I can give you something and give you some questions to think about and start your day feeling good. So yeah, that's, um, that's the intention at least. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to prescribe people start. And that's usually the hardest part is figuring out where to start. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So no. quick plug for the podcast. What are you doing with that? How are those conversations coming along? And what's the goal there? Oh, the podcast. I mean, you can resonate with this. It's, uh, I mean, it's still going. There's still a weekly uh, episode that releases. And the Behind the Human is really all about you know, unpacking the various stories that people have for their work and their life and whatnot, but then also their mental fitness practices. And the reason, you know, kind of selfishly that I, I keep going with the show is that every week there's a different perspective that comes up ranging from entrepreneurs to Olympians to chefs to designers and big wave surfers, like all just a whole spectrum. I'm, I'm essentially just following my curiosity. And every week though, then there's something something you can try, or at least I can, like, that's how I was introduced to breath work. And like, oh, I never thought of that. Like that, that would be interesting to, to inject here or tack onto this practice or start something completely new. And again, like none of this stuff is new. That's what's fascinating. Like all these practices I've been around since the beginning of time, it's not like I'm inventing questions, but when you link them with the stories and the narrative and so forth and, and the interviews, like that's when it becomes really powerful and relatable. So that's, that's the show. And, you know, it's just, I don't know about you, but for me, anything that I've done, the book included, and now I'm working on a film series, all comes back to the podcast in some capacity. Always. The golden road always links back to the podcast. So unless there's some sort of crazy medium shift, I just can't ever see myself not 
being behind the mic. Well, I'll make sure to, to link up to that and everything else that we talked about. And Mark, it's been great talking with you. Same. And I hope people subscribe. I know I am. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. We'll definitely make there be a next time. I think what would be really cool is if I go dig into your episodes a little bit more and say, okay, let's, here's, here's an outline I've come up with and we'll, we'll do a, a follow up episode maybe oh, later fun. this year. So yeah, I'm down for that. All right. Well, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Mark Champagne like I did. Definitely go check out Baron Fag. I'll link up to that in the show notes as well as the Personal Socrates book and Mark's site to find him and connect with him on BehindTheHuman.com. If while you were listening to this, you thought, you know what, this book sounds like a great gift for somebody or, you know what, I just need to get it for myself, which who can blame you? I am thinking about both those things for myself, even though Mark sent me a copy. I definitely want to gift this book. If you found this conversation helpful, I would love for you to do me the favor and Mark the favor and whoever it is you're thinking about a favor of sharing this episode with them. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice. Send this on over to them. Let them know you were thinking of them. Help them out. And it helps the show out. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening. And I will see you next episode.